You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Coming to you from Happy Valley, I am Tyler Donahue. Here, things are Dramatically different than they were when we started September. Penn State 4-0, now knocking on the door of top 10 consideration within national rankings, now number 11 in the AP poll, number 12 in the coaches poll, moving up three spots in each of those after a 33-14 victory over Central Michigan. I know those results may not be tied to the performance because people are coming out of that matchup, kind of scratching their heads, wanting to see more from Penn State in, in several different capacities. But as we said during the postgame podcast, it's a chaotic time right now in college football. And if you can survive, and not just survive, but win by a fairly comfortable margin with 19 points, even though it was a 28-point spread going into the matchup against Central Michigan, people aren't really going to take too long of a scrutinized look at your performance when they've got to gauge what 130 other teams are doing across the country. So Penn State on the rise. They've got Northwestern ahead this Saturday. It's a 3.30 kickoff back in Beaver Stadium. Penn State going to start off uh, their nine-week eight-game stretch for Big Ten play to see where they are coming out of that. We'll have a lot to learn about this team in October, but let's review a little bit of what we witnessed in September, most notably last Saturday against Central Michigan with our Lions 24-7 colleagues, Mark Brendan, Daniel Gallen, uh, share some seats alongside them in the press box once again in Beaver Stadium. And now we're back on a Monday morning uh, collecting some thoughts. Both of these guys have written pretty extensively after the matchup, as have I. And uh, we've got some things to look forward to this week, fellas, with Big Ten play resuming. Northwestern is a team that's really struggling right now, and the point spread reflects that. But let's go back to last week. It was the first time in a victory this year that Penn State did not cover that point spread. It was 28. They win by 19. Mark, we heard from Daniel and obviously had a pretty long conversation in our postgame podcast. So let's get you on first. Um, you've got your takeaways piece up, your report card. Again, Penn State's coming out of this thing 4-0. They're up a few spots in national rankings. But those of us who follow this thing hyper-locally, you understand this is a pretty critical week for Penn State to shake off some of what they had going on last Saturday and get to that bye week in really good shape. Yeah, one of the things I wrote is that I think when the narrative of the 2022 Penn State football season is ultimately written in months or weeks or years or whatever it's going to be, you know, this game isn't going to be much more than a footnote. But in the context of this season, you know, you mentioned it last week, Tyler, that maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing for them not to play an extremely clean game, for them to have some things to button up. And, and I think that's what they come out of this uh, with. You know, a after playing really well for three straight weeks, uh, I do think there are some things they really have to take a look at. And, you know, we could get into that as this game goes along. But to me, the, the critical part now is you really have to play a, a, a good across-the-board game against a Northwestern team that's really struggling. Because I think if you have two of these type of efforts in a row, if you put back-to-back -back efforts like this together – then I think there's reason for concern going into the bye week and then going into that mid-October grind of Michigan, Minnesota, which looked really good over the weekend, and then obviously uh, the, the Buckeyes, who who obviously uh, looked looked really good. So to, to me, do you put too much into this game in itself? No, but we're here to break it down and talk about the things that really matter. But you really... I would I would bet that the coaching staff, as intense as they usually are, I'll bet they're going to be even a little bit more intense this week, knowing that you want to go into this bye week with some momentum. This is the week where I think you have that leeway to put a jolt into your program uh, and, and you know get some guys fired up, make sure they're not feeling too comfortable. That that extends to your coaching staff as well and extends to your position rooms, and uh, you want to make sure you come out with a complete performance because after we 
had our post-game podcast, I sat down and was watching some late-night football on Saturday, and there were some big blowouts in play. One of the few close games was Miami of Ohio uh, going on the road against Northwestern, handing them a third consecutive loss on the season. And this is the third straight game where Northwestern was favored um, in the third straight game in which they did not look the part of, of really a Power 5 program. And I know there's a lot of, of goodwill built up with their head coach and with that program because of what they've been able to accomplish in the last you know decade or so getting to some Big Ten title games. But they are a far, far cry than, from that team that got to Indianapolis in the past right now. And it does feel like Penn State's primed to deliver another significant margin of victory. And, and by the way, guys, three home games this year for Penn State, all three of them, including this Big Ten matchup, 25-plus point favorite. So we'll see how they handle that. Daniel, um, you, you saw the betting line, and now you've seen where Penn State lands in the a a AP Top 25. Um, so Penn State obviously viewed as an ascending program. What's giving you a little bit of pause to putting, putting your two feet on the bandwagon and saying this program is ready to make that kind of a run? Yeah, I think that we're through four games, and I think that outside of Ohio and Auburn, I, I think we saw the, the complete performance, but I think that we're all just looking at that Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State stretch where, like, yeah, the win at Auburn was, was really impressive. Um, you know, I didn't expect them to win like that. But at the same time, that's a non-conference game. Uh, this is a team that has its eye on, on a Big Ten title, on the Big Ten East, and you need to win those conference games. And so I think that's kind of the, the next step in the, the prove it, um, you know, kind of checklist that we've been, we've been working through this year. Um, but I think that in the immediate aftermath of, of Saturday, uh, I think I was kind of not necessarily disappointed. I mean, I had Penn State covering that, that big spread. Um, they didn't do it. There are some, you know, shaky things inside. But I think kind of after we talked and the more distance I got, I don't really come away from that with, with any, you know, additional concerns, really. I think that it was, you know, what we might have expected or what Tyler expected in terms of coming off a big emotional win um, on the road against Auburn, uh, Central Michigan doing some nice things to take advantage of a, a couple of mistakes or some shaky play to get back into it. But I think that the fact that Penn State was able to, to pull away, um, kind of exert that control and then just kind of sit on the game um, to keep Central Michigan down in that second half was something that that you wanted to see and that, um, you know, good teams do. Uh, I think James Franklin said it after the Ohio game uh, where you can't really take wins like this for granted uh, because of what you see around college football. Um, every week there are fewer and fewer undefeated teams. Um, Penn State is still one of them. Um, and when you look at the the top 10 uh, in the AP poll, Penn State is looking at it at number 11 um, with some of the, the games that the teams ahead of them have. It wouldn't be a surprise to see them coming out of the bye week uh, in the top 10 um, which I think it's it's hard to ask for for more than that, given where some of the expectations were for this team, uh, you know, just a month ago. Everything's at your fingertips at that point. Uh, of course, you've got to get uh, handle your business this Saturday first. Um, guys, I think it's a little overdue on this show because we didn't get to him enough, I, I don't think, on Saturday night. But Brenton Strange and the way he is playing so far uh, through four games. I mentioned on the postgame podcast that he caught one of those early touchdowns from Sean Clifford. I don't think I ever really made my way back to him. But this is a guy who over the course of the day, five catches, 42 yards, all five targets ended up as receptions. I, I remember noting to you, Daniel, seems like Brenton Strange, everything going his way this year. He's, he's making sure he's 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 catching the ball, and then he's delivering uh, some yards after the catch. And I think you're really seeing him week after week you know, show what he can do as a blocker and, and what he can provide in this running game. Is he a perfect, dominant blocker at tight end? Not there yet. Uh, and, and and look, he's physically not the, the the specimen that they have and some, and some other guys in this room, but I really like the tenacity he's blocking with. You saw him spring Nick Singleton uh, for a big one against Auburn. Um, and to me, guys, you look at what he's done, body of work through four games, 14 catches, 211 yards, three touchdowns. I mentioned the blocking. Last year, he played in all 13 games. He had 19 catches for 226 yards and three touchdowns. So he is five catches short of his 2021 total. Uh, he's 15 yards short of that total, and he's already matched it in touchdowns. Mark, we thought this was going to be a share-the-wealth kind of role. Tyler Warren's gotten starts. He started this past game. He started against Auburn. They went two tight ends. But Brent Strange has really separated himself in terms of productivity and making tangible contributions to these Penn State victories. 
Yeah, and I think that you know you, you mentioned Tyler Warren. I think that's why this is really important. You know, Theo Johnson misses a couple games and has clearly been limited by uh, whatever the mystery injury uh, is. And Tyler Warren's playing with that giant knee brace. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we can see it out there, and he just doesn't look like he's quite. 100 percent either so you know they, they talk about this being one of the best tight end rooms in the in the in the uh nation and when you have two guys that you were really expecting some significant productivity from not necessarily operating at 100 percent, i think that magnifies what brenton strange is doing you know taking his game up another notch i was i thought it was kind of fitting that pat fryermuth was down there brenton strange is not in his uh, league just yet, but he's a guy who played with Pat Fryermuth and, you know, obviously learned a lot from him. Uh, their whole, you know, kind of piggybacking off of the whole Brenton Strange thing. When you go back to where they were with their goal line offense last year and what they are able to do now with not just a running game with the pat, but with the passing game and a guy like Brenton Strange, I just think it's it's fantastic. And then. Also, the stuff Brenton Strange is doing uh, with yards after the catch. You know, to me, the most spectacular play for him in that game was when he tried to hurdle those two guys. And, uh, you know, he made it pretty far across both of them. And I had a chance to ask him about that. He goes, you know, he noticed that guys were going in low on him, uh, you know, last year and this year. And, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to go up high to maybe try to protect your legs a little bit. Yeah, you may you may get a clean shot in the gut or, you know, you may take a little bit of a hard landing. But if you're trying to protect those knees, but what an athlete and what how much fun was that to watch him barreling down the sideline and then, you know, just go up high and maybe pick up three or four extra yards. So he's really picked it up at an area where they needed somebody to really shine because a couple of the, the significant projected significant contributors uh, have been banged up. And it looks like those guys are both coming around. So it's going to be fun to see how much more production they can get out of this tight end room. Yeah, Theo Johnson got a grab last week. And Daniel, just before we finish this, uh, this Brenton Strange appreciation moment, you actually heard that the touchdown celebration was tied to one of the VIP guests uh, on the field for Penn State. Brenton Strange said that when when he scored the first touchdown, I think he just crossed his arms, uh, stood there, and he said that was a, a nod to to Pat Fryermuth because uh, he knew Pat was there, so he wanted to uh, you know pay pay a little tribute there. But Strange is someone who, when I on Mondays, Sundays, and Mondays, when I go back through the game and try to highlight little things that stood out to me, I mean, he's really jumped out uh, the the past couple weeks this year um, in terms of all the stuff that he does uh, in the running game. Um, I think I, I always kind of term it as like the dirty work um, where, you know, Penn state doesn't have a fullback on their roster. And so when they need a lead blocker, it's usually him. Sometimes it's Tyler Warren. Um, you know, when they're in that, the, the three wide receiver sets, he's usually the tight end that's out there. Um, and they're a lot of times they're running towards his edge or, or he's the one pulling uh, as a lead blocker. And I think that he's kind of getting rewarded in the passing game uh, right now. Um, and that he's just playing at a at a really high level. I know that earlier this week, James Franklin said that he thinks that Strange is playing uh, you know, the best football of his career. Uh, I actually asked Strange that same question after the Auburn game. And he didn't think so. Um, but he said that, I think this goes back to the spring, is that he's always talked about consistency. That's like the thing that he wants to improve. That's what he wants to get better at. Um, and I think we've really seen it so far. That was the big knock on the tight end group last year was that, there was the Auburn game, and then what else was there? Um, a couple flashes here and there. Um, but the fact that Strange, like you laid out, is pretty close to his totals from last year, I think speaks to him raising his game, uh, being available in the passing game, being someone that Sean Clifford feels really comfortable going to. Um, and you really can't discount that moving forward. So it will be interesting, as Mark kind of laid out, as Theo Johnson gets more and more back into the swing of things. Um, if Tyler Warren, you know, is on an upward health trajectory and, you know, you have more options, you have more guys that you can play there. What does that mean for Brenton Strange? But we were kind of talking about it with, with the depth chart is that we've had a lot of oars um, on that, that weekly depth chart at tight end. And I think that Strange has really done a lot that he's the number one tight end right there, at least in my mind, with the level he's playing at, the responsibilities he's taking on uh, and his overall performance. 
Yeah, Tyler Warren, as I mentioned, getting those starts the last couple of weeks, but it's been Brenton Strange standing out at tight end. And to your point, consistency has was lacking last year. Tight end would pop up here and there every once in a while in a game, but now you're seeing it on a relatively consistent basis, game by game, through one-third of this season. And uh, I think we're starting to see the ground game show consistency, at least in terms of a guy being ready to step up and take the mantle a little bit. Three straight games where you get a freshman going over 100 yards. Let's go over to wide receiver because, Mark, you had pointed to this position in, in your players to watch, mentioning Keandre Lambert-Smith. Thanks. A week be- <laughs> well, a week before that against Auburn, a week before that against Auburn, I was kind of you know spotlighting Parker Washington and looking for his breakout moment. And Washington led this group uh, in, in catches, six catches, uh, close to 70 yards during the course of Saturday. Mitchell Tinsley caught a touchdown. He's been a frequent visitor to the end zone earlier this year. But I think what we're still missing, guys, and it's starting to remind us of how special talent Jahan Dotson was. We are not seeing these explosive moments downfield and one-on-one balls. And part of that's the quarterback putting the, putting the ball where it needs to be and taking some chances and trying to exploit some coverage opportunities. But not really seeing that kind of separation, not seeing those game-changing plays. Been some key pickups. Um, but I think overall that's the next step for this offense as you look at how can they get better, how can they take the top off of teams, how can they kind of match up what they're doing with, with the ground game now. To me, it's it's can you get some standout receiver play down the field where guys are breaking away from defensive backs, making something special happen, and getting yards that really shouldn't be available to them, but they're using their talent to get it. Yeah, I picked Keandre Lambert-Smith as the uh, player to watch, and he finished with two tack- two targets, one catch for four yards. But the reason I picked him, and I thought this was valid at the time, obviously, is because he's a guy who who I think does have that ability to to stretch the field. And and uh, but but you know clearly I think he's in a fight for his life for for playing time at this point, even though he's. You know, even though he's uh, starting, you know, with Trey Wallace and and some of the other kids who are out there. But, you know, I, I like the fact that they're way more balanced than they were last year, where where in last year, you know, if they needed a big reception nine times out of 10, it was going to be Jahan Dotson. Now they were able to spread the the wealth a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, sooner or later, I think you have to you have to start connecting on some of those longer balls. I think the offensive line is doing a decent job. I thought it played really well against Auburn. Uh, struggled, especially late in the first quarter, in the second quarter uh, against Central Michigan. But overall, I, I think Clifford's getting some pretty good time to throw, and, and, and I'll be surprised if they don't try to or, or don't start connecting on a few more longer balls because the running game, the, uh, the opponents have to play honest now. So you have to account for the running backs. You have to account for the tight end. You would imagine that somebody is going to be able to break loose free uh, at some point. So that's going to be an area to watch this week. And, you know, if I had to guess, uh, you know, I'm not going to go back to Keandre Lambert-Smith, which probably means it'll be him this week who, who, who oh, does yeah. it. But uh, they have the talent to do it. It's just a matter of, of popping somebody free and, and getting one of those bigger uh, rushes. You know, Parker Washington, to me, I, I don't know that he's that bomb threat. I think he's more of a guy who's going to get you yards after a catch because he has those running back skills. So, you know, maybe it's Trey Wallace. Maybe it's Keandre. Uh, I'm not sure. But but at some point, uh, yeah, and who might leave? Oh, Tinsley. Yeah, I think Tinsley has that ability as well. I mean, he's a guy who I think can get behind people and go up and win one-on-one balls, which he didn't do against Central Michigan, but I think he has that ability. But the talent's there. It's just a matter of somebody stepping up and getting it done. I'll throw another name in there, Omari Evans. I mean, this guy just keeps showing up and playing. He's probably going to burn his red shirt this Saturday. He's got the speed. He's got the ceiling. He's gradually learning the receiver position. It just feels like as these other guys, I'm not saying they're shuffling their feet, but as other you know, number three, number four guys in this rotation fail to kind of assert themselves and flash, I just think that opens the door for other guys. You know, most notably, Caden Saunders was not in uniform last Saturday. He's someone that we've kind of pointed to. Can he make a move in this room? But you look at the collective stats for the wide receiver group guys through one third of this season now. Uh, Brenton Strange has 14 catches. And then the other, only other two guys on this roster who are over 10 catches Mitchell Tinsley was 17 for 209 and three touchdowns. And then Parker Washington with 16 catches for 212 has not scored yet. Keandre Lambert Smith, nine catches for 104 yards and one touchdown. 
and Harrison Wallace, who, again, getting a, a big chunk of those reps on a consistent basis as the fourth receiver, uh, six catches for 74 yards. We're still waiting for it with him. Uh, and beyond that group, you go down to Liam Clifford, three catches for 31 yards. Two of those catches came last Saturday. So we've heard a lot about the depth in this room, about their confidence and being able to go six deep. Uh, but we just haven't really seen that reflected on the stat sheet game by game. And um, I, I, I want to get to the trigger man who has been handling uh, the distribution of the balls in uh, most of the cases with some help from Drew Aller, at, Drew Aller at times. But Sean Clifford was a hot topic of discussion coming out of this matchup, Mark, depending on who you spoke with. You may have heard about the four touchdowns, no turnovers. You may have heard about him being the prevention of Penn State being a Big Ten title contender. But here on Monday, it's not surprising that this is a polarizing topic. What did you see from number 14 uh, coming out of this game? And how would you kind of collectively evaluate this four-game sample size? Because this is the point in the schedule where a lot of us said, let's find out where Sean Clifford is and see if it makes sense to seriously consider making a move. Yeah, I mean, I think it's less about the Central Michigan game, isn't it? And more about this first four-game stretch where he has one turnover, you know, albeit a colossal, <laughs> you know, brain fart against uh, – against Purdue, uh, but he, he was able to, you know, personally help Penn State overcome that. And I, and I think that's what you need. I mean, we said that in the preseason. And, you know, I, I don't want to use the word game manager because that's kind of unfair because I think he's playing better than a game manager. Uh, but the, the importance of, of not making mistakes. I mean, we saw it in the Central Michigan game, didn't we? I mean – you know, Penn State has has no turnovers in that game. Central Michigan has three turnovers and a in a in a muff punt that led to a, a touchdown. And you know that very well may have been the difference in that game. I think Penn State would have won the game even without those turnovers. You know, I, I think Penn State clearly uh, in the fourth quarter didn't wasn't as aggressive with some of its backup as maybe it could have been. But yeah, I have no problem with what Sean Clifford's giving you to this point, and, and I think if if you're a Penn State fan, I don't uh, may, maybe happy isn't isn't the word, but I, I think you get to this point of the season and you have a quarterback who has one turnover, you know that to, to me that's that, that's everything you're looking for when you have so much talent around him at the skill positions. I, I think he's done a good job. I think he's been a, a, a terrific leader. I think he's been a positive um, influence on Aller. I, I don't think he's had any beef with, with coming out of the games and, and giving Aller snaps. You know, he, he's talked the talk that he's all about winning. That's all he wants to do. He wants to give the team the best shot to win. And if that means getting Drew Aller some snaps in case Clifford gets hurt, that Aller's more ready to go in there. So yeah, at this point of the season, I know Sean Clifford could be a polarizing person because of the way he's played in the past. And I know people may be waiting for, uh, you know, the, the, the roof to cave in at some point when the competition picks up. But, but to this point, I think he's done everything that you could have hoped for. And, and I think he's been a, a, a strong, strong quarterback, a strong leader for them. Has he been perfect? No, but he's outside of one turnover. He's not made the colossal errors that could really have put this team in a tough spot when games were tight. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Central Michigan matchup was his 37th career start. I, I do want to address the injury, because uh, not the injury, the turnover bug that Sean Clifford was afflicted by for, for some serious stages of his career, especially in 2020. Uh, you saw it a little bit last year at times, but you kind of go back to how he finished last year. He threw one interception in the final six Big Ten games. That was on the road at Ohio State. So I think he's done a really nice job. Got to give some credit to Mike Yursich here as well. The last couple of years, especially this season, carrying that over of not putting the ball in precarious spots where his misses are going toward the sidelines or they're going deep. And I think his, his, his placement on some of these misses, I know people, and this is something you pointed out, the accuracy has not been a strong suit for Sean Clifford throughout his career. He's a little bit up in, in terms of completion percentage right now uh, as a starter, but 
still not where you would love it to be. And, and I think that was reflected on Saturday. To me, now that he's got the turnover thing handled, if that is a trend that continues, that's going to carry you to an extent. But can he deliver the kill shots down the stretch here against top opponents? That is the next question and kind of the evolution of this offense and the evolution of the quarterback conversation, because I think people are tantalized by I don't I know people are tantalized by the talent of Drew Aller and they think he's the kind of quarterback who can drop one of those 50 yard bombs that breaks a team's back and puts a game out of reach or gets you back into it against an Ohio State or Michigan. James Franklin last uh, last postgame press conference was pretty emphatic about their uh, inability on Saturday and their need to moving forward to take advantage of opportunities to do those kill shots. If a team's going to load you up, if the team's going to play cover zero, take advantage, exploit that, make sure they don't do it repeatedly and, and, and serve them up a lesson. Daniel, I think that's everything for the next eight games for me. Can Sean Clifford be that kind of a quarterback who goes from maybe a game manager, maybe a guy who's not turn over in the fo- turning over the football to somebody who, when it's a tie game, fourth quarter, and there's a really good quarterback on the opposite sideline, is Sean Clifford going to go take his shot and deliver? I think that ties in with what we were talking about a little bit earlier with the wide receivers and, and needing to see uh, you know, a game breaker from them. Mm. I think that that really goes uh, hand in hand because so far the, you know, the, the so-called, I guess, uh, you know, the, the backbreaker, the backbreakers that Penn state has done so far this year have been from the running backs. Uh, it was yeah. Nick Singleton against Ohio, uh, Nick Singleton against Auburn, um, you know, that that Purdue game was, uh, I guess, a little too close to have a real I guess that, that was Sean Clifford, um, but it wasn't that big play um, to that really sealed the game. It was that sustained drive. Um, so I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, I think as those Penn State wide receivers, you know, as if one of them can emerge as kind of that Jahan Dotson type, a guy that can go 80. Uh, we've heard Harrison Wallace can do it. Uh, we've seen that Keandre Lambert Smith can do it. Um and Parker Washington and, and Mitchell Tinsley probably have that too. But if a wide receiver shows up as the type of guy that can do that, I think maybe Sean Clifford will have more opportunities um, and will it'll be easier for him to kind of deliver um, those types of plays. Um, you know, I, I've got the, the receiving stats up and it's longs of 27 for Washington, 29 for Tinsley, 26 for Wallace. Uh, Liam Clifford had a long of 20 late in the game. Um, so there are some chunk plays that are happening, but I think the next step is to turn those, you know, 30 yard gains into 60, 70 yard gains, um, you know, big plays. And I think that that'll help Sean Clifford, I think, raise that level a little bit. Um, cause he is playing at, at a high level. I mean, that 64% completion percentage, obviously there are some, you know, bonkers numbers going around that stat in college football nowadays, but that's a career high for Sean Clifford hasn't turned the ball over, um, hasn't been sacked uh, very much recently. Um, there's there's a lot of things that are trending in, in the right direction that I think um, I think the floor is higher this year than it might have been in the past so far. But I think it is kind of the, the test of Big Ten play when he's going up against, um, you know, C.J. Stroud on the other side. Tanner Morgan looked like 2019 Tanner Morgan uh, on Saturday mm-hmm. against Michigan State. I think that there's a chance that, and even into November, Talia Tungavailoa and that Maryland offense. I think that there's going to be some some of these duels um, between you know Sean Clifford and opposing quarterbacks. Um, there might be some shootouts, and I think that you know we have to see Sean Clifford be able to you know win one of those, get the get those big gains. Um, but I think that I think Penn State fans should feel. At, you know, better than fine. <laughs> um, I, I know that's not the strongest endorsement, but, you know, given how Sean Clifford has been these past couple of years, I think that, that you have to feel, you know, at least pretty good about where you are going in. I know there's always a segment of people that are waiting for the other shoe to drop, uh, you know, waiting for the bottom to fall out. But I think that with what we've seen so far, um, there's only been that one moment against Purdue and he bounced back. Um, and I think kind of how Tyler outlines, he's, really confident in a good place. And uh, we'll see what that looks like once it's exclusively big 10 play. 
We spent a lot of time talking about Sean on the postgame podcast. Uh, as we always say, I've, we've been saying on this podcast since 2019, only a matter of time until number 14 is the center of conversation here once again. Uh, but before we move on, 64% completion percentage, as you noted. Uh, his career high to this point was 61% completion percentage. Uh, that was last season. And, and just quickly going back to the wide receiver point, uh, the no, no receiver gains uh, through the air of 35 yards yet for anyone uh, to this point in the, in the season. So something you'd like to see change as, as Penn State progresses offensively. Uh, let's get to the offensive line. Mark, you mentioned wasn't Auburn performance part two uh, on Saturday. Uh, we saw J.B. Nelson get involved. Hunter Norzad was not out there. Norzad, of course, exited that game two um, with a lower body injury, it appeared to be. He spent some time in the medical tent. We saw him get back out there against Ohio. He was playing center. He played both guard spots. But you wondered about his health coming out of that game uh, and then coming out of the Auburn game where he was very much limited compared to his usage the first couple weeks. We didn't see him at all involved in game action. So open the door for J.B. Nelson to play. That cut into snaps again for Landon Tengwall on, at left guard. More Bryce Efner at right tackle rotating in. The other three guys, again, their job really throughout. So Liam Wormley on the, at right guard, Juice Scruggs at center, and Olu Fashano. It's pretty clear that Penn State is very comfortable playing seven offensive linemen right now coming out of the month. Mark, do you think that this approach is sustainable? Uh, because it sure seems like uh, barring some some changes or perhaps some injuries, Penn State's pretty intent on using two guys at left guard and two guys at right tackle. Yeah, you know, I think the good news is that Hunter Norzad dressed for the game at least. So, um, you know, I, I wonder if if that was a better opponent. You know, I know they take, you know, what is it, 1-0 every week or whatever the heck it is. Uh, but it sure seemed like there were a lot of guys who dressed and didn't play or were in street clothes for that game that I wonder if they might not have been ready, you know, if, if it were Michigan. Uh, so I think that was what that was the good news. But yeah, I think the fact that they got JB Nelson in there relatively early was a testament to the fact that, yeah, they are committed to this seven guy rotation because I think they wanted to just keep that rotation going. I mean, I don't think it was a coincidence. Now, JB got in there when they were kind of in the shadow of their own goalpost, which I like that they had that kind of confidence in them. But, you know, they had what I think that was a three and out. And then his next drive was a four or five and out or something like that. So they they, they were two uh, drives that they weren't necessarily productive. Don't know that you tie that all to JB Nelson, but you would have to imagine having a brand new face in there who hasn't played, you know, in the in the hard heart of a game probably impacted but to, to speak to your point yeah I think that the fact that he was in there was like yeah he's kind of a placeholder for Norzad and we want everybody to be comfortable with this rotation that we're doing uh, because otherwise I think you just go with Landon Tangwell the whole time uh, but no they they're, they're they're committed to rotating guys and I think there's something to be said for that I don't think that's a bad thing uh, you know moving forward because as this season goes along you're going to need an offensive line that's fresh in the fourth quarter and I think that's one way to go about it. I think it was good to see them have that confidence in JV Nelson because uh, obviously Penn State has a good track record, good track record with Lackawanna defensive backs. Um, the Lackawanna offensive lineman uh, track record is, is a little spottier, um, and so to to see him get that rep early, get those reps early, and I thought you know acquit himself well, kind of how Mark laid out. It's you know it's hard to do you know. Did they go three and out because there was a new left guard in there? Um, did they have their struggles because of that? Was there something else? Um, but I think that, you know, maybe now that seven man or the seven guys that they feel are confident, maybe it's seven and a half, maybe it's creeping towards eight um, based off of what they saw out of JV Nelson. But I mean, six foot five, 300, um, just another big body that they can put in the trenches and, um, you know, he seemed to to hold up well. Um, and the fact that he got these reps, I think, is is something that'll pay off down the road. Um, you know, with all these rotations, it it is always kind of, you know, James Franklin likes to talk about having the plans uh, to go in on on when they're going to play guys. Um, we heard it again that there was a plan to get Drew Aller a series in the second quarter and the third quarter, which didn't come to pass. Um you know, he talked about wanting to get Bryce Efner those those reps in the season opener, um, which wasn't until there were four minutes left in the game. Um, but it did look like that they had a plan to rotate and and they stuck with it. And I think that 
as you get into these bigger games, um, the more guys you have confidence in to go in there um, and, and be competent. Um, if something's going wrong, I think it's good to have those pieces that you feel like you can plug in there um, and, and be comfortable with. And that's what I wonder. It's it's now if once you get through these five games and you have a couple of weeks to strategize for how you're going to attack this the really pivotal stretch of your schedule, very challenging stretch of your schedule. Are a lot of these guys who gained experience not going to take that step back and be experienced backups ready to come in if an injury happens or if someone gets ejected? Or is it going to be continued to a, a distribution of snaps? You know, I think that's a little less likely. I think we're going to see some of these things tighten up from, from a rotational standpoint. Because right now it's fair to, fair to ask, are there more positions that don't feature a rotation than positions that do feature a rotation? There's so many players involved here for the first month of the season. Um, but I, I think right now with J.B. Nelson getting that experience, the one thing I'm a little curious about is, um, was this just making sure that Landon Tengwall is still you know, getting into the groove of, of being replaced every few series? Um, you know, or what was kind of the hesitation to use Landon for an entire game? Maybe let him get his own run at left guard. Obviously, a, a very highly um, publicized prospect by us at 24-7 Sports, a guy who's popped into the starting lineup in year two. Um, totally understand getting the work for J.B. Nelson, and, and it was mission accomplished and gaining experience for him. Just curious, maybe something that comes up in our conversations with coaches this week uh, about, you know, why necessarily Landon Tengwall with Norzad not available, it seems, you know, didn't just maybe handle 60, 70 snaps over the course of this game. He got a lot of play, but they stuck with that rotation on the left side. And uh, Guys, looking over to the defensive uh, results here, the three takeaways were big. You had the special teams contribute with one, Curtis Jacobs, uh, linebacker picking up that. Uh, Mark, you, you put together your takeaways piece. Uh, defensively, what was kind of at the top of that list as you were working your th way through the Saturday's matchup? I thought the swagger that the defensive backs played with was unbelievable. You know, that no-fly zone or whatever they're doing, flapping their wings, uh, I thought was pretty funny. But, you know, to me, when you have uh, a situation where jo uh, Johnny Dixon – I almost called him Johnny Dawkins, which uh, for old Sixers and Duke fans, they would know who I'm talking about. But, you know, Johnny Dixon gets to start in place of Kalen King. And I don't even know that that's fair to say because I think they're just rotating a bunch of guys. And in, 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 uh, But Johnny Dixon comes through with an interception and three pass breakups. Uh, over on the other side, Joey Porter Jr., three pass breakups. And then Kalen King comes in and has four pass breakups and a forced fumble and a recovered fumble. And he was right there on the interception uh, that the turnover king, uh, Zachy Wheatley, had. So I just, wow. I mean, the, the, the confidence that that group is playing with is so fun to watch. And, you know, they, they, I think they've gotten better and better as the season's gone along. To, to, and, you know, Terry Smith said he thinks they have, what was it, four or five, you know, guys who five. can play in the NFL – and that may be a little bit of a stretch. That may be a little bit of a stretch. But they have five corners who are playing at a really, really high level. And that's really fun to watch. And then you're getting really good play out of your safeties as well. So to me, you know, I look at that whole defense and just the level of enthusiasm and positivity and excitement in that secondary I can't. I can't remember them being that deep at cornerback. I can't. I've, I've covered a lot of football, and sometimes the things in your rearview mirror, you know, you remember, you know, just a, a lot more that are the things that are right there. You know, sometimes it's more difficult to go all the way back to the late '80s and '90s and think, boy, when did they have this many defensive backs? But I, I you know, I'm having trouble putting my finger on when they've had this many uh, cornerbacks playing at this high of a level. So that really stood out to me, and it stood out to me all season. Let's let's back up your statements here with some with further evidence. Uh, Penn State's communications team tweeted this one out yesterday. Penn State leading the nation with 41 pass breakups. You've got to go down to 25 pass breakups for the number two team in the country. And there's two of them, actually. Illinois and Pittsburgh both have 25 pass breakups. Uh, Penn State, though, 41. And they had 48 of those all last season in 13 games. I mean, it's one thing to spend all offseason – talking about how great your defensive backfield is going to be and for us to be, you know, con continuing to buy into that and telling everybody, but for them to actually show up and, and, and deliver on, on a weekly basis, starting off with, with a big test against Purdue where they were peppered by passes all over the place in a very quick fashion. Uh, you know, you're getting the results you want. And I think at the front end guys, 
What's really going to, to back up that play and vice versa are the two newcomers that continue to, to plant their flag as pass rushers for this team and guys who are going to be problems off the edge. Chop Robinson, deny Dennis Sutton. Chop was with a, a, you know, a, a different Big Ten program last year. Deny Dennis Sutton was finishing up high school. So I think for these two to be where they're at, and I know it came late for Deny, and he's got to do it in the first quarter against first-teamers for people to really buy in fully. But those two have come a long way, I think, <laughs> since they set foot on the field for their first Penn State practices in early August. And where they're going into October, both so well for Manny Diaz and John Scott and everybody involved in the defensive game plan. I, th I think one more note on the defensive backs. Uh, I, th I think we're learning why Purdue just didn't throw at Kalen King uh, in week one. <laughs> I think that, that that's becoming very clear. Um, but when you look at up front, uh, you know, Chop Robinson is someone where you, you look at the box score and I think he, he only had one tackle uh, in the Auburn game. But you look, he got like he six just, mentions in the press box, though. <laughs> and, and he had just, and when you looked at the, at the box score, just ones all the way across because sack, strip. Um, but he's just constantly around the ball. Uh, and I think that that is something that really bodes well. I mean, he's affecting plays. Obviously, the you know quarterback pressures are, it's a very imperfect stat. Um, but he's someone who, every time he's out there, has the potential to affect the play, even if he doesn't necessarily um, get credit for a sack or, or something like that. But I think Deny Dennis Sutton is someone whose trajectory is really worth watching over these next few weeks. Um, you know, he did it against the backups. I uh, did it in the, in the fourth quarter when a game was out of hand. Um, you want to see it against the first teamers, like you said, Tyler, but the fact that he's doing it, uh, and looking like a five-star in those situations where there is a clear talent gap, I think bodes really well for him moving forward. Um, but you know, he's getting comfortable and it's just, you know, can he take the next step? Um, the other five stars, the other highly rated recruits have had their moments. Um, he hasn't quite had that one yet. But I think if he can turn that uh, that three-man rotation at, at defensive end at the top, um, if he can turn that into four, I think Penn State is in really, really good shape uh, moving forward. But I think this next this next third of the season, uh, I think, is, is really important for him uh, in kind of seeing – you know, is he truly and, you know, is he truly going to be this this freshman instant impact player that that we thought he'd be as that five star recruit out of McDonough? I just want to continue to point out a guy who, who again, you look at the box score. You're not going to land on his name and, and, and really point to him as an impact player. But game after game after game with, you know, relatively limited snaps, a mean Vanover continues to, to, I think, turn heads to do his job. Uh, he's just a component of this defensive front that I don't think we were kind of hanging our hat on going into the season. And he's there now and it speaks volumes. Maybe you get Smith Filbert back into play in October. You know, he's been absent for these first four games. Same with defensive tackle Koziah Izzard. Um, but but, uh, but I've said it before, those guys are going to have some ground to make up because of what others have done on the field in the month of September. Um, and, and guys, uh, elsewhere uh, on the defensive side of the football, um, you know, just wanted to, to quickly put a, a bit of a spotlight on Akeem Beeman because whereas I was talking about the receivers and some of those, you know, downfield shots maybe being the next step for the, for the offense, I think Akeem Beeman – making splash plays in the backfield and bringing down some ball carriers. And there's been moments where we said, whoa, did you see Akeem on that rep? But we haven't really seen it reflected uh, in, in game-changing plays or, or uh, you know, drive-halting uh, moments. So he is the guy, you know, John Scott thinks the world of him. And, and we've applied a lot of adjectives to Akeem Beeman before he got back on the field. I think you're seeing it come together. For as much as we talk about P.J. Mustafer and Adiza Isaac and them playing catch-up, think about what Akeem Beeman has gone through and, before he was absent last year, he really was just a situational role player, uh, kind of a reserve player. So he's a starter now. And to me, if he can take off and 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 that hype train that we discussed uh, for much of this offseason comes to fruition over the course of these next eight games, that's how you start to really elevate the, the ceiling of this defensive front, which I think to this point has done a really nice job in, in showing what it's capable of. Yeah, and Tyler, just to follow up on that, I was a little surprised when I looked at the stats and saw P.J. Mustafer had six tackles. He's usually the guy who has, you know, like two tackles but has opened things up for everybody else to make all the tackles as that one technique down in there just taking up space. So for a guy coming off of a significant injury and having a chance to talk to him, I'm not sure if you guys did after the game, but he said it, he's still, you know, you're four games in coming back from what we assume was a knee injury last year. Um 
he still said that, that he he's ju- he's still getting comfortable out there. And I think he's played at a really high level this season, even though the stats haven't necessarily reflected it. But now that he's starting to build up, you know, pile up some tackles, like what does he have, like eight or nine on a year and six and out game? Uh, you know, I think just seeing him getting more and more comfortable is big. And I think the better that PJ plays, the more that's going to free up Akeem Beeman and the other D tackles uh, to do what they need to do. Yeah, and, and and John Scott also, he was saying Akeem Beeman's showing up in ways that you guys aren't necessarily seeing. He talked about Adiza Isaac, uh, a big, big sack in the uh, Auburn game, and basically credited Akeem Beeman with flushing the quarterback out, uh, bringing that interior pressure. He was credited with, with a few hurries uh, on Saturday, so I didn't want to make it sound like Akeem Beeman is not doing anything, but I think there's a lot more that you can get out of him, uh, and, and as he continues to Learn what it's like to be playing this many reps in Power 5 football and being a guy that, that is being counted on in that kind of a role. Really curious with him and then P.J. for different reasons coming off of an injury. It just feels like you got to remind yourself these guys are just four games back into it and they're your starting tandem at defensive tackle. Like You probably throw Zane Durant in there as a guy we heard a lot about during the offseason that through a month it's maybe been a little bit more quiet than you would have anticipated on Saturdays. Um, and Daniel, I know you pointed to him. Maybe you were just a week early in naming him kind of the, the breakout freshman because it could come this Saturday. Uh, one thing we didn't get to today, we talked about it quite a bit, but Mark, we haven't heard your take on it. Where does Penn State go from here with the kicking game? It, it, because look, they're, they're, they're what a 25 plus point favorite again this Saturday. That part of the schedule ends when Saturday's game ends. And then you're looking at what we anticipate to be a bunch of three, four, five point margins of victory or losses. Yeah, you know, I know there are a lot of uh, get-off-my-lawn type of folks who maybe in my age range who are against analytics, and, and I'm not. I mean, I, I think that, that that you know, these coaching staffs use analytics and, and, and for a reason. You know, they chart everything, and typically I think it's a very good thing. But I wonder with this whole kicking situation, and I wrote this, are we getting to a point of paralysis by analysis? And here's what I'm getting at. You have one kicker who kicks the the kicks the, the field goals from what is it, 52 and out. You have one who kicks field goals from 51 and in. You have one guy start the game as the kickoff guy, and he doesn't do what what they want. So you put in another guy, and then he doesn't do what you want, and then you put in another guy. I mean, at some point, you just say, Jake Pinnaker is the kicker. We're going to let him try to handle the jobs for a game or two. And if he doesn't get it done, go to Sander. I mean, maybe that maybe that's just too old school. But I just wonder when, you know, you have a guy like Pinnaker who's been Pinnaker who's been up and down throughout his entire career, and he's coming off a game where he played well against against Auburn. And now you're throwing him into the kickoff mix. You're adding something else in the middle of the game. I just wonder, you know, at some point, do you just make a decision? And I think it'll. I think this could be a good question for James Franklin this week if we get the opportunity to do so. That you're juggling so much in there, and that may all work in practice. But then when you add the dynamic of the game, and uh, I, I don't know, it just seems as if they're overanalyzing everything at that one position. And, you know, I know when you had a guy like Jordan Stout, it was much easier to just, you know, go ahead and you, but even him last year, he, he, he was a little bit inconsistent toward the end of the year. So I, I just think if I'm in their shoes, I go with Jake Pinnegar, let him kick off, let him kick field goals. And then if he doesn't get it done for a game, then you reassess, you know, throughout the week. But I just think trying to juggle all of these different personalities in these different roles, it just seems to be a little bit too much for me. You know, guys, uh, we talked. To, sorry, we talked about Jake Pinniger, uh struggling from forty to forty-nine uh, during his career, forty beyond. Jordan Stout. I want to make this, you know, just further emphasize what Mark just said. He was an all-world punter last year, but they didn't get a great season's worth out of that place kicker spot last season. And in fact, in the last couple of years, from forty plus, this might surprise you. Uh, nine of 18 uh, was Jordan Stout's mark. So it has been a bit of a consistent stretch here where that has been an inconsistent aspect of what Penn State's doing on the field. Yeah, and I, one thing, I, would, I don't want to come across as being negative towards Sander for missing a 56-yarder. I mean, that's, 
there, there's, I mean, come on. I mean, there's, there's nothing that wasn't his fault. And obviously the extra point situation uh, with it being blocked. I mean, I don't know what you can do there, but I, I just think the overall thing, I mean, it was, it was interesting because I, I asked Franklin after the game about, you know, the job that Barney Amor did and I thought he was tremendous. And then if he could assess the kickers too, and he just, he, he wanted no part of talking about Barney because you could tell he was riled up about the kicking situation. And it's like, James, I wonder if you just simplify things, maybe it would be a little bit easier. That's me. I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm not a coach. And, but I'm not against analytics. I think in this point, it may be a little too much. And, and adding to the, the personnel uh, things that Penn state is doing on special teams, uh, Tyler Dzanski was the long snapper um, on that 56 yarder ah. instead of Chris Stoll, who's been the long snapper for pretty much everything else. So I think we've talked about it. The, the emphasis that that Penn state puts on special teams in recruiting with bringing in guys as walk-ons and, and giving them the chance to, to go into roles. It does give them a lot of options, but as Mark laid out could be a little bit of you know paralysis by analysis, but you know, I think, and like Tyler said, um, Jordan Stout last year was the the best punter in the nation, but there did he did leave something to be desired uh, in the kicking game with a couple missed extra points, a uh, couple missed field goals, left some points on the board in, in some really key games. Um, so it is something that, you know, moving forward, um, I think that is looming a little bit larger than we might have uh, expected it to. Um, at the same time, it's really hard to find a good college kicker. <laughs> I think that that's something that we learn every single week. Um, you know, when you watch these games across and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, you know, I think on the one hand, if you're one third of the way through the season and, uh, one of the biggest concerns is who's the kickoff specialist and trying to get consistency out of that position, uh, things could be a lot worse, but, uh, these are the types of, of things where, I think that as a, as a fan, the thing that you want to see the least is for special teams to, to lose you a game. That's something that yeah. should be kind of out of sight, out of mind. Um, I think, I think, you know, people have said, I think Crystal said where it's like, yeah, people only know my name uh, if I, if I mess up. Um, and that's kind of what this position group is. And right now, a lot of people know their names. A lot of people are paying attention. And I think that's something Penn State really, really needs to get straightened out. Yeah. When you're 4-0, you're number 11 in the country, it's not going to be a, a, a full-scale throw a blanket on the team and let's complain about everything. It's going to be how do you limit your exposure to suffering that first loss? And right now you look at the place-kicking situation and that's where a lot of people are saying that's how it's going to happen. So, they're, they're, you know, like you said, looming a little bit. But a lot to, to learn about this Penn State team. Uh, as this week continues, we'll get back into it with some press conference with, with some player phone calls. Uh, Tuesday post-podcast, uh, post post geez, post-press conference podcast. Easy for me to say. There's way too much alliteration in that one. Uh, we'll be back with you for that one. Uh, Thursday, we'll have our previews and predictions for this matchup. We'll get some recruiting talk involved as Penn State will welcome prospects back to campus this weekend. For now, we'll step away, get back to work elsewhere at lines247.com. Thanks to Mark Brennan. Thanks to Daniel Gowan, our producer, Lance Glenn, handling things behind the scenes. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lines 24-7 podcast.